Our battered suitcases were piled on the sidewalk again. We had longer ways to go, but no matter. The road is life. Jack Kerouac on the road. We all carry suitcases filled with the flotsam and jetsam of our experiences. These satchels are that which is us. And we open them and share them in order to connect. Every road is an adventure. Every path a journey. Most are mundane and normal. Some are quite peculiar. I'm Don Hall, and these are my peculiar journeys. As the virus continues not giving a shit about our feelings of impatience, isolation, and disbelief in medical expertise, both of Las Vegas' neighboring states, Arizona and California, have shut down much of their gaming and entertainment businesses. Our neighbors were shut down in part because they simply couldn't get the hang of social distancing and wearing those masks. They all hopped in their cars this past weekend and came to Vegas. Fuck me. Since our governor mandated that everyone wear masks in public places, an inordinate portion of my day is reminding people to put the fucking things on. Mostly, I get some eye contact, point at my mask, and give them the raised eyebrow. That usually does the trick. Those folks are just having a hard time getting used to them. Others, however, have their political beef. And I find myself having to explain that the casino floor is a politic-free zone. Wear the mask or walk the walk. Now, Larry, Larry is sweaty. Sure, it's 102 degrees outside, but he's sweaty in that Nixon on TV sort of way, the kind of perspiration that comes with a purpose above and beyond the cooling of the skin. Larry is also determined to prove a point. So you're telling me that I, even though I have a medical condition that prevents me from wearing a face mask, and even though I am a disabled veteran, I can hear the capital letters when he says disabled veteran, if I do not wear a mask, you'll kick me out. I sigh, not in a huge I'm exasperated with you idiots manner, but a small inner monologue sort of breath perfectly covered by my Bane-like mask. Sir, I'm telling you that the governor has mandated that everyone wear a face mask or appropriate face covering when in our casino. If you have a medical condition, you can run over to Walgreens, snag a $7 face shield that works fine. Without some sort of covering, I won't allow you to stay and my staff will refuse your business. That's unconstitutional. I'm no constitutional scholar, but... Given, we're, given that we're in a gambling hall, I'll bet you 50 bucks there is nothing in the Constitution that addresses private businesses refusing your presence due to inappropriate dress during a pandemic. Larry's eyes are a bit wild, and he seems to be looking around for something, a sign or a sympathetic ear. There's a brief moment when I get the feeling kind of wants to punch me in the face. I am a disabled veteran, and you have no right to refuse my business. Look, sir. None of us like this face mask stuff any better than you do, but it's required if we're to stay open. My sister is an important lawyer in Nevada, and this is illegal what you're doing. What about this? And he pulls out his phone and shows me a screenshot of a card that I've seen before. It's that fake ADA get out of wearing a mask card. 
I realize at this point that we're being watched by three of my staff, one of my security officers, and two guests on the floor, so this has become both a show and an opportunity to demonstrate to my team how to handle this sort of thing without losing patience. I have seen that. It's not real. Oh, sure. You read that on the fake news? More subliminal capitalization. No, sir. If you go to the ADA website, there is a disclaimer that states unequivocally that the ADA has issued no such card. I understand why it'd be easy to make that mistake. It looks real, but it isn't. Don, he reads my name tag. I'm Larry. He reaches out to shake my hand. At this point, I'm more accustomed to the fist bump, so we have a clumsy exchange of half handshake, half fist bump, and we both laugh. I'm not trying to make trouble here. I just wanted her, her to print me out a player's card so I can spend my money at your establishment. Are you saying you don't want my money? Are you planning on spending $18,000 today, Larry? What? No, why? Because if Nevada OSHA decides to inspect our protocols today and you're gambling on my floor without some sort of face covering in place, this casino gets fined $18,000. This is illegal, Don. Look, Larry, I get it. If you want to get your sister and go the litigation route, it's your right to do so. But given that this is not a court of law, and I am neither an attorney nor a judge, you aren't going to do it here with me today. I can't believe this is happening to me in America. Let me put it to you this way. If you were to come in here buck naked, balls hanging out for all to see, unashamedly in your birthday suit, and tell me that you are a disabled veteran with a medical condition preventing you from clothing yourself... You think I'm going to let you stay? His eyes go up and left as he tries to think his way out of the question. Probably not. Probably not. The mask is like a cod piece for your mouth. Like a pair of pants for your face. And we require you to cover up your face balls in order to enter and gamble. No negotiation, no wiggle room, so either put some pants on or hit the bricks. The gift shop employee hands him a surgical mask we keep for guests. He takes it, shakes his head, and puts it on. He played slots for about a half an hour, spent 15 bucks, and got two comp drinks. Then he left. Welcome to episode 81 of Peculiar Journeys. Uh, we are here. It's just it's just past July 4th. We're still in the July 4th weekend. And uh, it's, you know, Vegas is Vegas. Uh, around the country, uh, things have been spiking pretty significantly. And we are in the second surge of the first wave. I'm not sure how to put that. But we're kind of fucked. Um, Americans have become the Florida of the world. And we are really losing this battle. We look like the biggest dumbasses on the face of the earth. As if we didn't think voting for Trump as our president made us already the biggest laughingstock of humanity. The fact that we can't even put on a fucking face mask for longer than an, you know 15 minutes without pissing and moaning pretty much indicates that we are idiots right now. So I'm not sure if there's that much to celebrate on our July 4th, but uh, you can always find it. I'm, I'm jamming out some extra hours here at the casino. One of our managers, uh, the graveyard manager, ended up saying something that was a bit off color and, and a bit bigoted, racist, if you will. 
and uh, was heard by many people on the floor, and so he has since been fired. So uh, Elise and I, the pair of us, are covering his shift. So that means I'm working a couple of 12-hour days, and that's you know that's the way it is. But it's making me turned. I'm, concl- I'm I'm concerned lately that my conclusions are being mirrored without context by GOP fuckheads. Uh, I've been reading a lot about critical race theory. I've been reading a lot about uh, current models of uh, call-out culture and, and, and a lot of this very strident stuff from the far, far left. And what I read is this postmodern Marxism where they have replaced class with race. You know, if you read any kind of Marx, then you know that it's, you know, it's, it's, it's labor and, and corporate. It's the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. Well, they've replaced it with the oppressed and the oppressor. And in the case of America, the oppressor is white. Doesn't matter who it is. White is the oppressor. Black is the oppressed. And that's just kind of how it works. And if you read into it, it's, it's kind of anti-humanist in its own way. Well, I'm also finding that some of these fuckheads in Congress are throwing it out. Even Trump on the 4th of July, his 4th of July speech compared it to communism. So I'm loath to write about any of this or even talk too much about it because it sounds like I'm parroting them. And they don't understand. I don't think any of them really understands what they're talking about. But that's been sort of a weird thing that I'm kind of dealing with. And the pandemic every day kind of feels like its own thing. I mean, you can't really make plans. You really don't have any expectations. You just get up and see what the fuck's going to happen today. And then you kind of ride that out. Um, One of the things that's been really, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of situations is the concept of allies. Um, I know that... uh, when I was in Chicago, there was a period after I dated Alice where I decided that I didn't want to be an ally because what it meant to be an ally was simply acquiesce to someone else and just go along whether you agreed with uh, their opinion or not. This is what I'm just gonna I'm just gonna defer to your judgment and I'm gonna keep my mouth shut. And there are so few other experiences in the life where anybody is expected to do that. I mean, I can think of a boss, maybe perhaps a doctor. You know, where you just, your your whole job is whether you like it or not, the entire experience is to simply shut up and do what you're told. I'm not really comfortable with that in most situations. I don't think anybody is. I don't think that's me being a white man. I think that's just me being a human being. Human beings don't really like to just simply go along and be told what to do and not have any kind of input. In fact, in a true liberal democracy, the whole point is that we work together. Well, ceding control to someone that you may or may not believe in or their ideas is not is not liberal democracy. It's it, it's a completely different kind of authoritarianism, and it's a really weird thing. The following story isn't really my story. It's not my story, but I read about this, and I, it's a very I think it's a pretty specific example. It's not a big example, which is why I thought it was interesting. So I figured I wrote about it in Literate Ape, and I figured I'd share it here. I became deeply suspicious of the whole white ally call to arms years ago. The instructions for inclusion to the club were simple. Strolling through the language, membership was predicated upon a recognition of white privilege, sure, a commitment to listening to the ideas of the marginalized, reasonable, and taking a backseat while funding the movement. On paper, it sounds perfectly fine and progressive until one goes beyond the words and into the expected behaviors invited. 
Recognizing and, uh, recognizing and acknowledging privilege in practice means accept a never-ending self-flagellation and daily apology for existence. Only the genuinely masochistic could swim in that pool of ideological horseshit. Listen to the ideas of the marginalized in practice is a Mobius strip for anyone with even an iota of critical evaluation skills. It means, in practice, do not question and embrace the ideas of the marginalized because if you do not, you haven't listened. Just a circular logic. Taking a back seat and providing money to the cause sounds good until one realizes that in practice it really means that the only way to get the decoder ring and Kool-Aid cup is to not be included in the club. Be included in the club means don't be included in the club. It's the essence of shut the fuck up and pay us to take your stuff. Well, Patrick Harrington, the owner of Kindest, Kindness Yoga in Denver, Colorado, was a white ally, probably still is. In 19 years in business, his tiny yoga studio business had a reputation of inclusivity. Gender-neutral bathrooms long before they were popularized person-of-color yoga nights where white friends and allies were asked to respectfully refrain from attending LGBTQ yoga workshops. He, he, like any dutiful white ally, should hired a diverse staff of instructors. Kindness Yoga didn't charge for classes. The model of business was entirely donation-based so that anyone with interest could learn without regard for economic ability. Some students paid a buck to attend classes regularly because that was all they could afford. And this model worked. By 2019, Harrington had eight studios running. When the pandemic shut the world down, he managed to crawl through the trenches of red tape and secure a $300,000 federal aid package to pay his instructors during the lockdown. Unlike much larger corporations, he actually used the money to, what do you know, pay his instructors. He even started a digital dialogue called Unlearning Racism, How to Become a Better Ally with vocabulary lessons and ideas on better allyship to communities of color. I mean, in practice, this guy was almost a poster boy for the entire concept of allyship. He was the fucking Tom Cruise of white allies. There are two problems with Harrington that his work and effort could not overcome. He was white and his business had an Instagram account. Now, unlike a host of large and small companies using the current civil unrest to show shallow support for black lives, Harrington actually meant it and, it, and put all of it into pragmatic behavior. When Kindness Yoga posted a Desmond Tutu quote in support of Black Lives Matter on June 1st, a campaign started by Davidia Turner, a black woman who since started her own yoga studio and ends her posts with, I accept reparations via Venmo and PayPal, and Jordan Smiley, a transgender man also starting his own studio, accused Kindness Yoga of performative activism and tokenization of black and brown bodies. The campaign claimed that Harrington declined to hire an outside diversity expert and that his effort to unwhite his website by featuring photos of black, brown, and trans students was a horror. The murky demand for systemic changes caught fire, and within 48 hours, Kindness Yoga closed down for good. Now, interestingly, neither Turner nor Smiley even bothered to confront Harrington before unleashing the online tsunami. Talking to him, quote, would be a danger to my mental health, claimed Smiley. Now, I've long held the belief that social media is a tool, no different than a phone or a hammer. It has a design function and use like a phone or a hammer. Social media can also be used as a weapon, despite the fact it's not really intended as one in the concept. Blaming social media for this excessive aggression is like, I don't know, blaming McDonald's for the fact that we are fat. We're a fat, fat country. Bunch of big fucking fatties. 
That's not McDonald's fault. Twitter is just that lard-laden, salty, delicious thing that's so goddamn tasty we can't help ourselves but have hours of it without recognizing the damage done. Facebook is French fried information, high in calories, low in informational nutrition, and fucking irresistible. Nothing wrong with a hunk of chocolate cake. But if you eat cake every day without pause, you'll die in your bed unable to get up to piss because your fragile, underused bones will be drowned in the sheer weight of your useless body. As a tool, social media is perfect for social justice. It is also, and unfortunately, perfect for those who would use social justice ideas for selfish gain. Despite the extraordinary speed and massive reach of the internet, there are more effective ways to build genuine changes in society. They happen in person, face-to-face, filled with perceptions of microaggressions that are less aggressive than just clumsy, and more than sentences written on a phone in someone's basement. True change comes with skin in the game rather than the bloodless bullying and theater of online posturing. Most effective activists know this already. Quote, people don't understand that organizing isn't going online and cussing people out or going to a protest and calling something out. Unquote. Patrice Concolors, a founder of the Black Lives Matter movement, wrote in How We Fight White Supremacy. Public shame is most effective in bringing change when levied against the big guys in power rather than a horizontal canceling of those whom we simply dislike or want to replace. The second kind smacks of petty office politicking and a mirror of the very approach our idiot savant president takes to bully his rivals. Turner and Smiley do not behave in real life like activists seeking change. They wouldn't even bother speaking to Harrington before hitting the cancel buttons, so change was not the goal. Given both waited until the business was in peril due to Pandemic Alley, went in for the kill, and are now opening their own replacement studios is quite telling. Also, let's be honest, anyone who signs a public post with I accept reparations via Venmo and PayPal is a douchebag and an opportunist, not an activist. Unfortunately, Harrington's struggle session isn't over. Apparently, he's spending his now unemployed time working with on his white privilege, including reading White Fragility. Quote, Did our community in Denver gain something by kindness yoga closing its doors, Harrington said. I struggle to understand the benefit of this outcome for white people, people of color, LGBTQ plus people. I don't see the benefit of taking us down this way. After a beat, he added, my privilege could have me blind to that. I'm trying to learn. None of this is to indicate that true allyship is out of reach or undesirable. True allies, like true friends, speak their minds even if it's ugly or in disagreement. True progress is built on collaborative work, not sycophantic purity worship. Collaborative work is the work of equals, and isn't that the fucking point of civil rights in the first place? Beware of those who use the outrage of the moment as a grift for themselves. Those who have genuinely suffered discrimination, economic deprivation, and unrelenting bigotry deserve better allies than self-flagellating, self-loathing masochists. Those are the types of allies no one has any respect for because they're effectively useless in the hard work for change. They are, however, completely willing to be destroyed by you for your stated cause. And that is episode 81. Thanks for listening. I hope if you are interested uh, in in, uh, the podcast that you let people know about it. 
And if you are really interested, go ahead and uh, hop on to patreon.com slash peculiar journeys and sponsor me so that, uh, you know, maybe one day I won't have to be dealing with uh, insane people on a casino floor. Talk to you next week. Grabbing up your hats, coats, boots, and everything. Leave your worries on the doorstep because we're going by and by just to wreck your feet. You look neat on the sunny side of the street. Can't you hear the pitter and the patter of the raindrops trickling down your fire escape ladder? Life would be so fine. Fine is this has been another episode of the Peculiar Journeys podcast. For archived episodes, go to donhall.vegas slash podcast to hear stories of Chicago, of Millennium Park, and of the big move to Las Vegas. If you dig the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts and review the show. If you really dig the podcast, why not go to patreon.com slash peculiarjourneys and help fund the endeavor. Whatever you decide to do, thank you for listening, and I hope you come back for more of my peculiar journeys.